Shalom, my friends. Jim Martin, once again, coming to you with some timeless truths from God's Word. Today we're going to be examining Daniel chapter 8. Again, we're not going to be able to go through this chapter and all the implications of the visions that were given to Daniel as we would like to do. I have provided notes and a link to the more detailed, somewhat more detailed notes for you to use for your own study, and I encourage you, I urge you to do that. There's much more material there and much more, many more links to, for instance, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, which ties so closely into the prophecies, the revelations given to the prophet Daniel. But this morning we're going to look at an overview of Daniel chapter 8 and consider the particular implications of this chapter and of these visions. Here in the United States we have just gone through another round of elections on the national, state, and local levels. Uh, the first Tuesday after the first Monday is our our typical election day, and we have survived that. People have invested literally millions upon millions of dollars in these election campaigns and referendums and and agendas uh, with hopes of relieving situations. Uh, advancing particular political and philosophical agendas, what have you. Uh, they've placed a, a great deal of hope in the political process. We're going to speak to that this morning, and I pray that you will bear with me as I do so. So let's pray together and pre press on in this. Uh, as we do so, recognize that there are people on in, in the world today that are suffering greatly on a number of different fronts. We're still dealing with the COVID-19 issue. Uh, we have, in our own family, uh, just yesterday lost a dear sister, uh, not to COVID, but to cancer. Uh, we're grieving over that loss but not without hope, because she had placed her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and she is with him as we speak. So, uh, pray with me as we begin to uh, to study Daniel chapter 8. I do uh, urge you to get hold of your copy of Scripture in whatever translation, whatever language speaks to your heart most clearly, and follow along. As we go, not by verse by verse, but hopefully uh, principle by principle here. Father, we we do lay ourselves before you in Jesus' name, and we pray for your wisdom and for your direction, for your unction to speak uh, through your servant and to your servant this morning. As we look at the truth of your word, uh, as most of these things have been fulfilled already, uh, but some yet to be fulfilled. We are encouraged that you do speak to your servants, those that have uh, committed their lives to you, surrendered their lives to you. We pray, Lord, that you would 
uh, encourage us and and lift us up as we we most certainly need your lifting as you did your servant Daniel. Now open our minds and our hearts and speak clearly through your servant this morning. Uh, we ask all this with gratitude in our hearts for even allowing us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 8. It opens uh, again uh, just like last last week. We, we uh, do point out that the events that are recorded here in Daniel chapter 8 actually occurred before what is recorded in chapter 5 of this book. Uh, it, it is not in chronological order, uh, particularly. We pick it up in Daniel chapter chapter 8, verse 1, and we, are, we find ourselves actually two years after the, uh, the visions given Daniel in chapter 7. In the third year, and I am reading out of the New American Standard translation of the English Bible, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the ones which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was by, beside the Uli canal. Here's the vision. Here's what Daniel saw. Now, was he dreaming? Was he in some sort of a trance? Don't know. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Somehow, he was in a state where he saw things which were not actually occurring. These are symbolic and uh, metaphorical things. Uh, again, like we talked about last week, God often illustrates the reign of particular individuals and, and uh, national interests as beasts, as animals, because they are being driven by their passions, by their desires, and not by uh, any kind of spiritual unction by the Lord. If there's a spiritual unction, it's by uh, God's enemy, Satan. And, and the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and so he pictures or depicts these kingdoms as animals. Not too far-fetched when, like when you look at how some regimes behave. Very animalistic, uh, very brutal, uh, uncaring, uh, advancing their own interests and their own uh, wealth and, and comfort. So, uh, again, here in Chapter 8, Daniel uh, sees a vision of, of a couple of types of animals. In this case, there it's a, uh, a ram and a goat. This would be a, a sheep animal and a, a male sheep and a, and a male goat. Okay, verse 3. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal, the Ulai Canal. Now, the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other. We talked about last week, I believe, that, that the Bible, horns represent authority. They can represent kings or regimes. And so here we have two regimes, two kings, perhaps, the Medes and the Persians. 
that are represented by these two horns. One being longer means that one was more powerful than the other. The two, two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. That would be the Persian Empire being more powerful, coming up after the Median, uh, the Median Empire. I saw the ram butting westward, northward, and southward. Butting means uh, conquering. Okay, it, it implies that these, the Medo-Persian Empire would be advancing to the north, to the west, uh, and to the south. Why not to the east? Because they already occupied the east in the known world at that time. And no other beasts, no other kingdoms, could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power. There was nobody going to deliver or conquer from the Medo-Persian Empire at this time. But don't despair. Uh, All these kingdoms, all these mighty regimes are temporary, and they're limited. While I'm observing... Well, I skipped. Let's go back to the remainder of verse 4. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone could rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased. See, he followed his own passions, and he magnified himself. Ultimately, my friends, this is going to lead to the downfall of any nation, uh, state, any company. When you start doing as you please and magnifying yourself and ignoring the principles and commands and structure and design of the Lord God Almighty, then you are doomed. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but ultimately you will not survive. Verse 5, while I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west. Okay, remember the the ram was budding towards the rest, trying to advance the kingdom of Medo-Persia to the west. But here he met a powerful opposition. A male goat, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth meaning his empire was very large, his influence was, was, uh, was, uh, was great, and he was coming over the surface of the earth without touching the ground. The implication here is that his advance was very swift. Now, people have read all kinds of stuff in here, which are nonsense, like this uh, represents aircraft coming from America to bomb Iran, all kinds of nonsense like that. That's not what we're talking about here, friends. This was a flying ram. He was going so fast he didn't even touch the earth. Uh, the kingdom of, this turns turns out to be Greece, uh, was advancing so quickly it seems he wasn't even stopping to touch the earth. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. All right, I want a unicorn goat. Uh, he came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing, and he rushed at him. With his mighty mighty wrath, this was a mad goat. He was a billy goat gruff. I saw him 
come beside the ram, and he was enraged at the ram, and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him, so he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him. This is a terrible scene, and there was none to rescue the ram. Okay, now the Medio Persia had no one to rescue them from the Grecian Empire. Male goat magnifies himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn, Alexander the Great, was broken, and in its place there come up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. So we know from history that the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great was divided at, at his death into four kingdoms, and they were, as it turns out, weaker than the Grecian Empire under his rule. And out of them came a fourth, rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. Uh-oh, we have another horn, another individual, or another regime that comes out of this. This happens to be Antiochus Epiphanes, who executed horrible unspeakable things in Israel, in Palestine. He sacrificed a pig on the altar. He did all kinds of things that were horrible. And the people of God suffered mightily under Antiochus Epiphanes. And in verse 14, uh, well, let's back up to 12 uh, and 11. I, I, I really want to get on with this, but there are so many details here. Uh, well, we have to go to verse 10. It grew up to the hosts of heaven and caused some of the hosts. Now, we're talking about either heavenly beings or God's leadership in, in, the, uh, in the nation of Israel. Uh, it sure sounds to me like he's talking about heavenly beings like fall, fallen angels. In verse 10, it grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to the earth and he trampled them down. This is a great spiritual battle. These are, this is not just international intrigue here. This is, this is far beyond this. This is a spiritual warfare going on and a spiritual conflict. It grew up to the host of heaven means that it's trying to exalt itself even to the throne of God. It, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is bad. This is very, very bad. Even magnified itself in verse 11 to be equal with the commander of the host. Is this God himself or is this uh, the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Godhead? Or is this Gabriel or Michael, the archangels? The, the commander of the host. Well, I'll leave that for further consideration and, and meditation to you, but the, the fact is that this individual, this, this new person, this Antiochus Epiphanes, and I promise you the things that he did could only be attributed to the evil one. He had even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And this is exactly what Antiochus did. He did command that the sacrifices, morning and evening, be 
ceased, and he did do despicable, horrible, defiling things to the sanctuary. He placed himself to be God himself. And, of course, we know that the Roman emperors and so many others do that very thing. They think that there's no such thing as God. They're their own God. They're deciding their own fate. They're powerful enough to establish themselves forever. Well, we know this is just foolishness and blindness on their part. Verse 12, on account of the transgression of the host. Now, does this mean that the the third of the angels is, that is talked about in other places in scriptures uh, that were swept down uh, from heaven when Satan fell? Is that what it's talking about, the transgression? transgression of the host or is this tra talking about the transgression of the the priests and and false prophets of israel what do you think that they sinned and their transgression led to their downfall and on account of the transgression of the host it will be given over to the horn to the, this great power along with the regular regular sacrifice and it will fling to earth it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. <clears throat> My friends, in this day, in the 21st century Babylon in which we live, truth has been flung to the ground. We live in an age of an era of subjective truth. What's true for you may not be true for me. That's, that's the mantra of today. And it's not just today. It started long ago. Uh, we see here it was present in the 6th century before Christ. Uh, my friends, be assured of this. There is an objective and everlasting truth. We don't found, find it on the internet. We don't find it on TV. We don't find it in our political powers or in our institutions of uh, higher learning, so-called. We find it in God's everlasting word. His word is truth. And that's what we've got to cling to today in 21st century Babylon. Had the opportunity to visit with a dear longtime friend uh, with whom we have not had contact for uh, at least a couple of decades here. Uh, this week, this past weekend, we had contact and visited with them. And, and uh, during a what was called a Halloween neighborhood Halloween party. I got to visit with some of his neighbors and inevitably the conversation comes around with to well what do you do? What's your story? And I had to tell them that uh, well I was a retired engineer but uh, what I am actually is a missionary and, and teacher of God's word and uh, they said, well, what are you doing now that you're retired again? I said, well, I thought I was finished, but apparently I'm not. I'm now teaching on the Internet. And they said, well, what are you teaching? And I couldn't think of anything else to tell them except the, the, the title of this series, uh, Believing and Behaving in Babylon. And one of them just was alarmed and says, you think we're in Babylon? I said, most certainly. Uh, my friend is Jewish. And so his forefathers were actually in Babylon, uh, the real one of 6th century B.C. 
and here their progeny is in 21st century AD and we are in Babylon again. Why? Same, same reason. Because we have lost sight of the truth. We've lost sight of what righteousness really is. And so we go on in this, in this chapter and he talks about the next is a, he hears a voice from heaven uh, that's saying, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice that has been uh, abandoned and uh, interrupted, as it turns out, by Antiochus Epiphanes, how long will that apply? While the transgression causes horror so as to allow the holy place and the host to be trampled. And the answer was 2,300 evenings and mornings. The evening and mornings were the times for the sacrifice. Then the holy place will be properly restored. Well, that's that's about six and a third years. If you're talking about these are actual days. And as it turns out, about six and 6.3 years is about how long Antiochus Epiphanes ruled and and transgressed the very holy people of God and he went he went on and uh, actually the the man who interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar and and Belshazzar uh, he actually needed interpretation himself uh, and verse 15 he says when I had seen the vision I sought to understand it behold standing before me was one who looked like a man and I heard a voice of a man between the banks of the Ulao, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Now, have you ever seen an angel? I, I don't know that I have, and I don't know what they look like. Apparently they can take the form of a, of a person, of a human being, uh, I don't know what they look like, but I know that whenever somebody encountered one, uh, the, the angel had to say, don't be afraid, fear not. And in this case, he didn't even have to, didn't even say that. Daniel fainted well, uh, straight away before Gabriel, the archangel. Uh, so whatever an angel looks like, it's not this little cherub on, on uh, the toilet paper wrappers out there. Uh, that's not what they look like. Okay, they're fearsome entities so gabriel was commanded by the lord god or by jesus to give daniel the interpretation daniel daniel was the one that gave interpretations to others now he needed to understand so he came near to where i was standing i was frightened i fainted uh, he said son of man understand what the vision pertains to the end time of the end so he's really giving him an end times vision now, we're all, always wanting to know, uh, give me a date. And he says, not on your life. I am not going to give you a date. I'm just going to tell you the sequence of events that's going to happen. And he does. And it is incumbent upon us to correctly assess and interpret the signs of the times. That's why I'm doing this series right now, my friends, to my beloved family. Because we need discernment. And that discernment is a product of wisdom. And wisdom 
is seeing things the way God sees it, sees it and behaving accordingly. Adjusting the, the course of our life to be in concert with him. And so he goes on and explains, he, Gabriel, goes on and explains after he revives Daniel, he goes on to explain what's going on in this vision. And we know, my friends, just like I said last, last night, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Political parties think they're going to solve all the world's problems, or at least their own, and we have going on right now in November of 2021, this G20 they're calling, you know, I don't know, they can say G20, G8, whatever they're, G whiz. What do you think your people are doing? And it's talking about climate change, for crying out loud. Man, you need to get to, get to the business of restoring truth and shalom in your own countries. Start living, not by greed, not by pride and arrogance, but start living by humility under God's sovereignty. That's what the message here is. And ultimately, that's what he says here. Okay, all this says the visions of the mornings and the evening is true but keep it secret for it pertains to many days in the future daniel would not live to see the fulfillment of these prophecies he was already an old man here then i daniel was exhausted and sick for days then i got up again here's the key to this message this morning my friends here it is then i got up and carried out and carried on the king's business but i was astounded with the vision and there was none to explain it well he already had it explained was he looking for something else it's like some of the old things uh you know you fell off a cliff and grabbed onto a branch on the way down you're dangling there saying help help and a voice comes out of heaven this is the lord god Trust me. He says, is there anybody up there? This is the Lord God. Trust me. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Turn turn loose of the branch. Is there anybody else up there? And that's exactly what we're, we're looking at here. I was astounded at the vision. There was no one to explain it. Gabriel explained it to him. The, Daniel's problem is he says, what do I do? about this how am i to respond well he responded in the only way he could he got up washed his face and went on about the king's business what are you to do knowing that whatever regime is in power right now it may be the final one but it won't last Why? Because the kingdom of our God is the only one that is an everlasting kingdom. That's the one in which we serve, my friends. That's the one that we need to pay attention to what's going on. Understand the signs of the time and serve in every way you can with excellence. That's the message. And in the notes, the last paragraph in the notes, it says, how then shall we live? Well, knowing the truth can be a terrible burden. It can. Knowing the truth can be a burden. 
We, we need to respond to the truth properly, not react, not go crazy, but be calm and serve and carry on. Daniel served, served God in Babylon, and he served God in Medo-Persia. Where do we serve him? Where do you serve God? You say, well, I'm in a secular business. Well, so was Daniel. So, so have I been. And now I'm in the king's service. Not the king of America. We don't have such things, regardless of what the president thinks. But I'm in the, I'm in the service of the king of kings and of the Lord of lords. Daniel was faithful to serve a pagan king in a godless culture. How else are they going to see the truth if we don't live it out in, in front of them? And Daniel did so with distinction and honor and was himself honored even by Jesus. Uh, look over in chapter 24 of Matthew's gospel. He also received more heavenly messages. We're going to talk about that perhaps next week. And he was shown that things must occur far beyond his lifetime and perhaps far beyond our lifetime. But I think that the time of the Lord's return is approaching rapidly. For sure, we're 2,300 or 2,500 years beyond Daniel's time. He was shown, Daniel was shown that things must occur far beyond his lifetime and then told to keep the vision secret because it pertained to the distant future. My friends, we've been given no such admonition regarding our future and the truth entrusted to us. We are to tell the truth, communicate the truth in every venue, at every opportunity, until the Lord returns or until he calls us back. And then we, and at such time as he calls us to him, is there someone that we're leaving behind? Pray with me. Father, uh, thank you for the opportunity and freedom and, uh, and the impetus and the resources that you've given us for this message. I pray that we take it to heart that we serve you in 21st century Babylon with distinction and honor and that you would be glorified and that we would be, uh, I guess, rallied and motivated, Lord, to speak the truth in love, but to speak the truth. These things we ask again with gratitude in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, my friends. Pray for your old friend Jim that I can be able to continue this wherever we are, whenever it is. God bless you.